Are you tired of criticism? Is your back sore from carrying dated attachments to negative player labels? Are hot takes burning away your taste buds as you try and savor the fresh taste of a new NBA season? Then oh, do I have the remedy for you. Optimism. Welcome to Sunflowers at Halftime, a positive basketball podcast. Where we celebrate the NBA, the NBA draft, and all things basketball. This is part three, where we wrap up the Eastern Conference in the 2023-24 prep preview podcast series. If you want to listen to the other two, they are posted and just follow, like, subscribe, whatever you have to do, where you get your podcasts, and make sure to listen to all of them as we begin this 2023-24 NBA season. And we're going to get right into it with the Southeast Division and the final five teams in the Eastern Conference, starting with the Atlanta Hawks. So again, the premise here, um, check the description, listen to the other pods if you haven't, um, how each team is going to go over two reasons why the each team will be successful and two fun questions for each squad so we are going to start again with the atlanta hawks last season the hawks were 41 and 41 they finished they finished eighth in the eastern conference and their projected win total is 42 and a half 42 and a half so two more wins than last season how can they achieve that well let's start by talking about what move they made that was a pretty substantial move for a team that has had an identity for the last little while. Now, it begins with Trey and ends with Trey, but his running mate for a while has been John Collins. So a way that the Hawks go over has to do with the fact that they decided not to directly replace John Collins with a body, and instead they replaced him with space. So John Collins gets a chance to flourish in one of the most creative systems in the NBA in Utah. That's awesome. But let's focus on the Hawks. What the Hawks have now is opportunity for the young wings and forwards to step into. This was a roster over the last few years that when you looked at it in the preseason, it was like, wow, that's, those are a lot of quality basketball players, or that's a lot of potential. But there's only one ball, right? There's only so many minutes to go around. There's there's only so much time in an NBA game. How do all of these players succeed, let alone even get burned, get run, get minutes? How do they make that happen? Well, what the Hawks did was actually something that's relatively rare, I feel like, in today's NBA, which was they just did a salary dump. They just traded John Collins essentially for a future pick. Right, And I think it was even a couple seconds, if I recall. I don't remember the exact logistics of the trade. But what they, what they received is actually, you know, no, no one to replace those minutes. Rather, they can do what we see in a lot of businesses, which is we're going to promote from within. You know, we're not going to outsource something. We're going to promote from within. And so we don't see this type of move too often especially because you know teams want to recoup value for their assets well what the hawks luckily realized is they have assets already they're just sitting there waiting waiting for a chance and by that i'm talking about jalen johnson i'm talking about deandre hunter i'm talking about anyeka kongwu mohammed gay the rookie out of um Washington State, Miles Norris, the undrafted rookie out of um, UC Santa Barbara. All of these players collectively will get opportunities to fill in the gap that is, you know, the where John the imprint where John Collins used to be, right? The void that is now there with John Collins gone. It's that addition by subtraction or whatever you want to call it, as opposed to, you know, it's not against John Collins. It's rather, look at the opportunity right here. 
And we know what Trey Young can do. Oh, I, I, I should have mentioned Sadiq Bey as well because he can play maybe a smaller four because John Collins often would, would operate from the wing and the, and the high post, rather. So there's a lot of opportunity here. And one of the ways that the Hawks go over is that with these newfound minutes, some of these players take, you can say it's expected, you could say it's natural, but they take the leaps that they were always meant to take once the minutes arrived. And through the, the move that the Hawks made, the minutes are here. And whether these players are ready or not, we're going to find out right away because they're going to get opportunities. And that's pretty exciting. So for the Hawks that went 41 and 41 last year to just get to 42 and a half, one or two or maybe even three of these players are going to take a step up, maybe from theoretical prospect to solid complementary piece, let alone true starter, let alone you know potential all-star. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we do know that there are options here and there is a vacancy. And Hawks fans, how exciting that you get to see everyone's um, auditions, right? You get to see their auditions for that for that new open space, which is fun. And the second way that the Hawks can go over 42 and a half actually doesn't have to do with a player. It has to do with their coach. The Hawks hired Quinn Snyder at, right after the uh, All-Star break last season. And now they not only had um, a whole offseason, but now they're going to get a full season of Quinn Snyder. And he showed while he was in Utah that he, he is a good, competent coach that made teams that were competitive in both the regular season and the postseason. And he was able to manage and develop talent such as Gordon Hayward, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and a plethora of others. So with such a talented young team like Atlanta, um, led by Trey Young, coached by Quinn Snyder, and as you know, there starts to be more camaraderie between the two, and 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 they start to get on the same page, you know that could propel this fringe playoff team back into being a legit play. Uh, excuse me, a fringe play-in team, back to becoming a legit playoff team. So, um, we'll, we'll we'll find out what happens. But I genuinely think that the new opportunity that is there for the young Hawks by trading away John Collins, and as well as having Quinn Snyder there for an entire offseason and kind of getting familiar with one another and getting you know Quinn Snyder to establish himself in the building, those are two reasons why the Hawks are going to be not only better than last year, but I think that 42.5 is, is very realistic for the Atlanta Hawks to go over. So two fun questions about the Hawks. The first one has to do with what we've already talked about, which is given that John Collins is gone, who reaps the most benefit from the newfound space and opportunity? Jalen Johnson, DeAndre Hunter, AJ Griffin, Anyeka Kongwu, Mo Gay, Sadiq Bey, Miles Norris, I think they'll probably start out, of course, DeAndre Hunter already starts, probably with Jalen Johnson. Maybe they'll go shooting with A.J. Griffin and play DeAndre Hunter as a small ball four. Um, Sadiq Bey definitely has shown to be able to be proficient at small ball four as well. Onyeka Kongwu is also a sleeper here because while I feel like he's been predominantly slotted as a five, um, he's definitely he definitely has the mobility and and. and um, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to um, play both forward position or both um, front court positions rather. I'd honestly like to see personally some Mohamed Gay, the rookie out of Washington State. I think his shot looks looked gorgeous in preseason and he has some very in, uh, intriguing mobility. Um, so when you couple his ability to potentially protect the rim with his range that he has, and how well he moves. Um, Miles Norris is actually relatively similar. Um, he actually has quite a bit of wiggle to his game on the perimeter um, at his size. Because he's he's a full 6'10", 220. It'll be... Um, uh, yeah, so the, who, who who's going to reap the most benefit from that space and opportunities we spoke on earlier? And the second question has to do with a... Uh, 
uh, Sunflower at halftime favorite here, Kobe Bufkin. What role is such an ultra-talented rookie going to play? There have been some clips, if you if you look them up, um, or maybe they're just quotes, that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, that Quinn Snyder's been praising Bufkin for his maturity and talent recently. And if you listen to the mock draft here this past summer at uh, Sunflowers at Halftime, you'll remember the idea that Kobe Bufkin's going to be hard to keep off the floor. Like, he's going to be that type of player where it's like, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's going to work with um, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray and Kobe Bufkin all at the same time, but I have to put Kobe in there. And I think that, you know, when you when you actually think about their skill set and, and, and their size, you know, DeJounte Murray and Kobe Bufkin are both 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and they're pretty strong. Um, there's a chance they might play all three of them together. And, and barring unless you're playing like, you know, somebody like, uh, let's just say the Suns are running KD at the three. Well, no one can really guard KD. But outside of, you know, very niche lineups like that, there's a chance that the Hawks best one through three um, could potentially include Bufkin. He's, he's just such a talented player and he's extremely young. He was younger than a lot of freshmen in this draft, despite the fact that he was a sophomore um, drafted out of Michigan. So keep an eye on Kobe Bufkin this season and also who is going to um, take advantage of the opportunity left by uh, dealing away John Collins. Next up are the Charlotte Hornets. So the Charlotte Hornets last season were 27-55. and 55. And this year, their over-under is 31 and a half wins. So how can they go over? So first, the idea that Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball have games that directly complement one another. So we've seen that Ball is a maestro with the ball. Where Brandon Miller coming out of Alabama um, looked like almost like a pure scorer. And that, I don't think that's a fair definition of, of his game. Because what we saw this summer, in Summer League especially, and we, start to see, we started to see more of it in preseason as well, he's more of a well-rounded, all-around player. So he's got some playmaking chops. He can play on and off ball. So when you think about the size and skill set of both Brandon Miller, um, who is all of 6'9", 200 pounds, and LaMelo Ball, who at 6'7", 185, for those two to ideally be your two playmakers and you surround them with, you know, talented, uh, you know, talented scores like Terry Rozier, um, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting duo that, that's going to be tough to match up against. The idea when it comes to LaMelo is like, who is, who, is the, who is the perfect counterpart to LaMelo? And the Hornets in this draft had all kinds of options at number two. And we're not going to go back and retroactively say, oh, what if they, take, what if they took this player or that player or this player? No, let's work with what we have right in front of us. They have Brandon Miller. And where Brandon Miller set the college world on fire last year by, by being a, a ridiculous score, putting in over 19 a game, um, he's shown more than that. He's shown that he is not just a scorer, that he can pass, he can rebound, he can defend. He looked great in transition in the preseason. And so I feel like Brandon Miller also, when you look at him, um, you know, he's, he's 20 and will turn 21. So LaMelo Ball being 22, um, Brandon Miller is, is, was older for a freshman. So while some people might have, you know, pinned that against him as a prospect, now that he's in the league and now that he's with LaMelo Ball, there's not a huge age difference there. So if those are your two cornerstones, right, that, that is your franchise duo, they, they're, this, is a, this is a nice foundation for the Hornets. Both of these players are extremely talented, and a way that the Hornets can go over is, is those two develop a, a symbiosis. Those two develop um, and, and become a tandem 
that they know how to work with one another. I mean, setting screens for each other, picking and popping, leaking out in transition, understanding each other's tendencies. I really think that both of them can, can complement each other um, extremely well. And well enough to go over 31 and a half wins. That's four, five, five extra wins, five extra wins from last season. And next, Terry Rozier, scary Terry himself. It's right before Halloween, so it's only right to talk about scary Terry. And a way that the Hornets can go over 31 and a half is actually for Terry Rozier to have a career year. Now one can say, hey, he averaged 21, 4, and 5 last season. That, that is a career year. Well, you're right. And I wonder if Terry Rogier has the capability to role play as Agent Zero, a.k.a. Gilbert Arenas, and adopt that mentality and lead the Hornets to a play-in berth. So with the departure of his 20 points per game pal in Oubre, who is in a position to thrive with the 76ers, there can be there could potentially even be more shots for Terry. And with the rest of the team developing due to youth, Terry can not only explore, but he, he might be enough to propel Charlotte to hit new heights. Again, we know Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball are basically the, the faces and the foundation of the Hornets. But right now, maybe the move is to go through Terry Rogier. He's at the peak of his powers right now. I mean, he is 29 years old, entering his ninth season in the NBA, coming off 21-4-5 last season. And he just, he's got it. He has so much game. And so there's not any real in-depth explanation here as opposed to just, hey, Terry Rozier can get buckets. And there is a lot of talent. I mean, they still have Gordon Hayward. And they've added good defenders like Frank Nidalekina and Leaky Black. They still have Cody Martin. You know, Nick Richards and Mark Williams down low. Bryce McGowan's, Nick Smith Jr., Amari Bailey, young talent, JT Thor, PJ Washington, right? PJ Washington is, is very underrated. This team has, and don't forget about Teo Maladon. This team has, has talent. They do. They have a lot of talent. And Terry Rozier is, outside of Gordon Hayward, almost like the elder statesman here. And if the elder statesman also simultaneously can average over 20 a game, this might be actually, you know, because LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller are going to have years and years and years to figure out their whole dance and their whole shtick. This might be a nice year for them to figure out um, not necessarily how to be, you know, the ones. Because maybe for the Hornets to be successful and to go over 31 and a half, there's a chance it's to look toward Terry Rozier, who is at the peak of his powers, coming off of a 20-point-per-game season. So two questions for uh, fun questions about the Hornets. The first one, with a, with a roster that is made up of such young talent that needs to develop, would injecting a younger coach with innovative basketball schemes be more in alignment with their roster? Now, this is no knock on Steve Clifford. But I wonder if Steve Clifford, if he was moved to an assistant role, and if they brought in... You know, I like to think about... Sorry if you hear my dog in the background. She was, she was excited. She heard Clifford. She thought of the big red dog. And instead, I'm like, no, sweetie, it's it's um, Steve Clifford, the coach of the Hornets. Uh, she was still excited. Anyway, um, would injecting a younger coach with more innovative basketball schemes. You know, we we saw uh, the, um, the Rockets hire... Ime Udoka. We saw Mark Dagnalt go to the um, Thunder recently. Um, obviously, Darko hired by the Raptors. And then Will Hardy 
hired um, in Utah, Wes Unsell Jr. with the Wizards. You know, there's a lot of these younger coaches that are getting picked up. I, I, I wonder if with such a, a, a young vibe, and yes, I'm going to use the word vibe, a young vibe in Charlotte, if the move is also to have a young coach to maybe maximize what's going on on the roster by having new age schemes. I don't have anyone in mind. I just think it'd be interesting to monitor, especially given some of the off-court happenings in Charlotte this this offseason. Um, it, it sounds like there needs to be some type of a, of a culture change there, um, given some of the, the recent reports. The second question has to do with Bryce McGowan's. We've seen very enticing flashes from him um, in summer league in preseason he has the makeup he's got the look he's got the the package right he's got the bag he's got the style that reflects a modern shooting guard a modern wing um, he, he seems to have all the tools so so what kind of season does he have and what kind of role does he assume you know, is this something where they're going to throw him out there and literally have him start on the wing? Is he going to come in um, right off the bench? Is he going to only be situational? I, I wonder what the development strategy is with him. Um, because some players, you know, some players are, some players develop better in off-season training or in practice repetition. And there are other players that they have to learn on the go. You have to throw them into the fire for them to develop. And I don't know what it is, um, what it looks like for Bryce McGowan's, but usually it's not just one or the other, it's an and. And so the more Bryce McGowan's minutes we get this season, I feel like it's going to be better for the Hornets. Um, so keep an eye on Bryce McGowan's. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I feel like that's become my tagline. It'll be interesting to see. But that's the thing is, stay curious, stay open. The league is interesting. It really is. It really is, because we're not here to necessarily judge it. We're here to enjoy it. So I am interested in seeing what winds up happening with Bryce McGowan's, what winds up happening with this young roster, and what winds up happening with the Charlotte Hornets. Next are the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat last season were 44-38, and 38, finished 7th in the Eastern Conference, and as we all know, they made it to the NBA Finals where they were defeated by the Denver Nuggets. Their over-under this season is 44.5. So to essentially replicate last season, that is what their expectation is. So how do they do that? How do they repeat? Well, ironically, the first way is to rinse, repeat, and reload. The Heat have made the Eastern Conference Finals in three of the last four seasons. And they've made the NBA Finals in two of the last four behind the impressive duo of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So what's behind those two is an ever-evolving flux of young, unproven talent, especially undrafted talent, that fits that Heat culture. And the new guys that the Heat have brought in pick up right where they left off. They lose Max Struess and Gabe Vincent because other teams were willing to pay. And so what do they do? You know, they have Drew Smith, the crafty guard out of Missouri. Jamal Kane, a really underrated wing slash forward out of Oakland. Nikola Jovic is ready for a leap. They bring back Josh, Rich Josh Richardson. RJ Hampton, they're taking a flyer on. They pick up Cole Swider, the sharpshooter that played with the Lakers from Syracuse. They have another assortment of players not to mention Jaime Jaquez Jr. that are just going to plug right in because outside of Popovich Eric Spolstra is arguably the best coach in the league and of course there are other candidates too don't get me wrong but Spolstra is is an incredible incredible coach and so they just run it back run it back not to mention Tyler Hero and the chip on his shoulder because he was dangled in a lot of trade rumors. A lot of trade rumors. So that's the first way they can repeat last season is literally to do exactly what they did last season. 
with just a little bit of a different cast, just slightly different. Still got Duncan Robinson, Kevin Love. They bring in Thomas Robinson. Orlando Robinson took a leap. I love it. Second way, the Heat are going to go, uh, go over 44.5, so essentially repeat last season, is Nikola Jovic takes a leap. So we know Hero is chomping at the bit to play ball. I mean, given him being dangled again and all those trade rumors of this offseason for Dame Lillard. And he even came out and said, like, you know, Portland's going to regret that. And that doesn't mean he wanted to go to Portland. It means, like, oh, you didn't want me. And such a smooth, aggressive player. I love the contrast there where he he can hunt shots, but he also kind of knows and picks his spots um, accurately. He has such a beautiful stroke, good lord. Um, but Hero is going to potentially have a monster season. I'm excited to watch that. But the other player was also rumored in those trade in those trades, and that was Nikola Jovic. And by all accounts, Jovic is competitive. And if you watched him play this last summer in FIBA, and especially if you watched him play in the summer league, he's an issue right? He is a problem. He is incredibly versatile. He added, what was it, 20 pounds of muscle? And I know that's a common trope to say in the offseason. Well, look at this is the time when you say how much weight people have added. But he's a legit 6'10", 240. He's 20 years old. 6'10", 240. And he's got all the talent in the world, all the skill. He's got a lot of skill. I can't wait to see how he's used. I can't wait to see. I mean, is this something where by the time we get to holiday season around New Year's, Jovic is a starter? Or is he one of the first guys off the bench? I, I have no idea what it's going to look like. But for the Heat to match last season and go over, it's not only that he has to take a leap, maybe he's already taken the leap as we saw him you know, playing that connector role during FIBA. Maybe he's already taken the leap and now all he just needs is the opportunity. And if there's a coach that's going to be able to recognize that and put the right personnel in the right positions to succeed in an ingenious way to maximize his talent, to maximize his roster, to maximize his scheme, to maximize the moment, it is Eric Spolstra. So those are two ways that the Heat can go over 44 and a half. Two questions for the Heat. First of all, can Thomas Bryant be the big deterrent that they've needed behind Bam? I mean, look, there is no way to guard Nikola Jokic. You just have to hope to contain him. You just got to hope. You have to do your best job in limiting him because you're not going to be able to fully stop him. And Bam Adebayo is one of the best defenders in the league. Bam Adebayo is also six foot nine, so when you bring in Thomas Bryant, six ten, six eleven, that 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 is another big enforcer that was really needed in this last postseason run. Now they made it to the to the finals, of course. Um, some of that was Jimmy Butler heroics, of course. Uh, Thomas Bryant plays with fantastic energy. We saw that with the Lakers. Um, and he plays with intensity. So those are two dynamics that will have him fitting right in in Miami. Bam is like an all-world defender. He could probably use some help when it comes to rim protection. And while Thomas Bryant has been an energy guy, not necessarily a primary rim protector, Given the gusto he plays with and the opportunity he has to play on the heat, I wonder if they utilize him in a, in, in that type of a role, if, if he's able to kind of morph his game and be able to provide some of that secondary rim protection that they desperately need. The other question has to do with their rookie, Jaime Jaquez Jr. out of UCLA. And what role does he play? He looked fantastic in summer league. 
I, I think he might be out in the first game of the season. I think he's coming off of a, of a slight injury, nothing too serious to my understanding. I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, but would it be shocking to see him play 20 minutes a game? He is so well-rounded. He can do a little bit of everything. We saw it at UCLA. I mean, there were moments where he was backing people down like he was a power forward. And then there are other moments where it's, he's bringing the ball up and facilitating. Um, for Eric Spolstra and the rest of the Heat, that is the ideal type of player to have in your system. He is tough, he is scrappy, and he is talented. Ultra-versatile rookie that is ready now. And what type of role is he going to play? Can't wait to find out. On to the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic's over or under for this next season is 37 and a half. Last season they went 34 and 48th, or 34 and 48 last season. So they're projected to have a couple more wins than than um, last year. How can they achieve that? How can the Orlando Magic go over 37 and a half? Let's start with the obvious. Paulo and Franz, that is Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, go nuclear. So this this that 610 duo plays with insane versatility and malleability, proving last season to be matchup nightmares. Um, they both had really strong off seasons playing for their respective countries in FIBA while showcasing growth in their games as playmakers and defenders. Right? We got to see what Paulo looks like if he ever theoretically played the five. It's terrifying. We got to see Franz, of course, do that point forward role. Um, but there were moments before he got, he had a slight injury where he, I think he tweaked an ankle. But before then, he was everything from a go to scorer to a connective tissue player to a facilitator. He is so interesting um, to watch. The sky's the limit for those two. They just continue to develop and they just keep going up, 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 up. And they are the faces of this franchise. Obviously, Paolo being a number one overall pick is the one. What a, what a terrifying duo to go against. How do, you, how do you guard these two? Sooner than later, the answer is going to be you don't. You just hope to limit them. And you hope to take away the, you know, the players around them. Because that's how talented these two are. So to get... 38 wins over th to go 30 over 37 and a half just to get 38 wins these two have to continue on the path that they're on and that is not only doable um they could go way over if these two continue to realize their immensely high potential and so what's another way they hit on both their first round draft picks so the magic needed more playmaking and Anthony Black provides that from day one. And they also were yearning for shooting. They needed shooting badly. And that's what Jet Howard brings from day one, including some size on the wing at six foot eight. So these two are also in complete alignment and on the same age trajectory as the rest of the squad. So that allows the team to grow together. So Anthony Black can come in right away and defend and play hard and move the ball and attack the rim, hit open shots. And Jet Howard can create from the wing, splash open threes from the corners, from all over. And that's just making this team better. That is raising the floor of this team and also theoretically raising the ceiling. So when you think about a team that went 34 and 48 last season, just adding those two, and let's just take their the traits, just adding a 6'7 ball handling playmaker that can be switchy on defense and plays with gusto, and then a 6'8 sharp shooting shot creator on the wing, and you think they just have to do the same as last season with Paolo and Franz still trending up and getting better and better every single time they step on the court. That's not only worth four wins, that might be worth 14 wins. We don't know. We'll find out, though. This roster's super fun. 
and ask for questions about the magic. So what's really fun is we talked about this with the Knicks, how they're adopting Villanova players, right? They have this MO of all Villanova guys. How fun is it that the Magic has a fascination with Michigan Wolverines? How they have a fascination with players that played for U of M? You know, even just right now, they got the Wagner brothers, Mo and Franz. They just drafted Jet Howard. They have Caleb Houston on the roster. I mean, they even had um, Iggy Brasdakis recently on the roster. They, they've had, they have, um, I think they had Derek Walton Jr. even for a little while. Xavier Simpson, there have been Michigan players that have been associated with the Orlando Magic. And I just sometimes, I, I think that that's pretty fun um, to have almost like a pipeline, right? You know, we, we see this with, um, in the NFL, the Eagles have a, a defensive, um, uh, a defensive line of a lot of Georgia players, right? Well, why not? Georgia's an incredible college football team. Why not grab a bunch of Georgia defenders? Um, it's funny, the same thing. You know, the Knicks are like, those Villanova kids really know how to hoop. And here they have a bunch of them. Um, Michigan has had a, a, a lot of talent go through their um, their school over the last, I mean, honestly, forever they have, um, but especially recently. And so it's cool to see the Magic consistently grab players from the same school. It just builds camaraderie because um, there's some commonality there on the roster. And then the next fun question for the Magic, who is more underrated right now? Fultz as a true point guard or Suggs as a prospect? Because to me right now, it's equal as both are supremely underrated. Suggs is starting to figure it all out, right? I mean, he's 6'5", and he's listed as a combo guard, we still don't know what his best role is. Is it to be that roving, nebulous guard that is occasionally a, a, an initiator, occasionally an off-ball guy? Would he be best as an on-ball point guard? Would he be best as purely off-ball? You know, some of the comps I heard people say before the draft were like Avery Bradley style. Well, I think he can replicate that now. It's just a matter of what opportunities is he going to get? this next season for Orlando and how is he going to continue to develop as a prospect? He was an incredible talent coming out of Gonzaga. Let's find out a little more of, of what Suggs can do this next season and how he plays the game. I'm excited to see him. And for Markel Fultz, look, as long as Markel's healthy and happy, he is a force to be reckoned with. Just in highlight plays alone, and yes, I'm talking about what he's done. There are some play. He is such an aesthetically pleasing player. Some of the passes he throws, some of the dunks he has. I love how he he almost he he plays on his toes when he's like, it's almost like a prance the way he moves. I just there's something about it that's like when I watch him move up and down the court, it's like all right, I need to get in the gym. I need to go play. I, the flair to his game is it's contagious. I love watching Markel Fultz play basketball. So that was kind of a trick question because I think they're both really underrated. Um, so Suggs more so as a prospect because, again, he's 22 years old. He still gets to figure it out. Be patient. Give him time. He's going to figure it out. Um, and for Fultz, somebody that a lot of people wrote off unfairly, um, early on in his career and look at him now he's still Markel Fultz is 25 years old 25 years old Fultz is awesome and the last team for part three the last team in the Eastern Conference the last team in the Southeast Division some can say I saved the best for last it is the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards last year were 35 and 47, and this year their projected win total is 24 and a half. Oops, sorry about that. It's 24 and a half. So what do they have to do to go over? Let's start with Pool Party, Jordan Pool. 
For the Wizards to go over, I think Poole can contend for the scoring title. He's shown an, uh, a high, high ceiling as a scorer during his tenure with Golden State. And if he keeps that going and then some, because he's going to get more of a shot, uh, a healthier shot diet here in Washington being the primary option, we could be looking at someone p- putting up closer to 35 a night rather than even 20. He has the potential to win games even on his own. So just right away, and in, of course, Kyle Kuzma does his thing too, but just isolate in an isolated sense, talking about Jordan Poole, 24 and a half games is not a lot. So if Jordan Poole scores like he has the potential to, that is a way that this team goes over 24 and a half, just simply by Jordan Poole balling out. And I think he's going to ball out and put up some gaudy numbers. I would not be surprised if he had, if he put up a 60 piece or a 50 piece. I, I mean, when he gets hot, he is scorching hot. I mean, he showed it in one of the games this preseason where he had an effortless 40, an effortless 40, and they were keying on him, and it still didn't matter. He can hoop. Another way that they can go over is that Johnny Davis and Corey Kispert follow their relative development arcs. And so that sounds kind of strange, but what I mean by that is that they both late bloomer isn't not, isn't isn't the correct term but they both took a, an extra year or two to develop so they both got on radars as high school sophomores right heading into their junior season they both stayed in college for more than one year davis was two and Corey kispert was four um, davis at wisconsin and kispert at gonzaga so meaning it takes a second for them to adapt and for Washington just to be patient because it doesn't mean it's not going to happen because when it does click, it really clicks for both of them. I mean, Johnny Davis was even a guy who played on some of those U19 or U18, whatever team USA teams where Corey Kispert has been on some absolutely fantastic um, Gonzaga squads that went deep into the postseason and had some historic regular seasons. Um, You know, as as long as it, these two continue to develop, and if they follow the former development arc that they've been on, both in high school and in college, and if that carries on to the pros, you know, they take a, this young rebuilding team, quote unquote, and they raise that floor. And when you couple that with Kuzma and Poole's scoring ability, 24 and a half is incredibly realistic because there is a lot of talent on this team. So, how do the Wizards go over 24 and a half? Johnny Davis and Kispert keep developing as they have their entire basketball careers, and Jordan Poole goes off and contends for the scoring title in the NBA. So, two questions about the Wizards. Fun ones at that. And before we get into the first one as a side, as an aside, I will be doing a separate podcast solely dedicated to the youth youth movement in Washington because it is absolutely enthralling. I am being fully biased here with Sunflowers at halftime because they coincidentally have some very, very, very highly regarded prospects in their system. And the, the question is, is this the most fun youth movement in the entire league? And as Sunflowers at halftime, it might be. Let me start by talking about, I, I, I'm not going to give a full scouting report. They have Yannick and Sosa overseas. A Sunflowers legend that I can't wait to see in the NBA. Bilal Koulibaly, Tristan Vucevic, Jared Butler, Ryan Rollins, another huge favorite here at Sunflowers at halftime. John Butler Jr., they just signed to a two-way contract. They got Johnny Davis. They got Patrick Baldwin Jr. They got Corey Kispert. 
I mean, it's I'm I'm speechless at all of this talent. The ceilings of these players, I, I mean, they are sky high. Sky high. Ryan Rollins has the potential to be a star in this league. Bilal Koulibaly has the potential to be a defensive player of the year in this league. Yannick and Souza, wait till you get it, wait till you see him. Vucevic is like baby Markinen. It's gonna be awesome in Washington. If I'm a Washington fan, okay, and I'm listening to this podcast, or I have trepidation about the season, you know, we traded away Beal. What are we gonna look like? Our, our over-under totals only 24 and a half. Just stop. Take a breath and just enjoy the ride. Because what you get to do instead is you get to get to know young players that, as they figure it out. You get to be a part of the process. And I'm not talking about the Sixers. You get to be a part of the process for the Wizards. You get to be in at the ground floor, right? From day one at the foundation of building this thing. Get to know these young prospects. Watch them develop. And all the while, eat some popcorn. Because uh, it's going to be a pool party with Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole. Because they're going to be going for a combined 50 a night. And don't forget Denny Avdia. He's here. Omarui. They there's so much talent. And I know I'm biased. I can't wait to get into some NBA draft content too, as an aside. Um, but there will be a separate podcast um, solely dedicated to the youth movement in Washington and why Wizards fans um, should be incredibly excited about the future because of the high, high, high potential and the swings that the Wizards have taken. Um on young prospects. Second fun question is all about Bilal Koulibaly. How, how are they going to take his development? How fast or slow is it going to be? Are they going to throw him right in? Are they going to slow play it? You know, what is the, you know, there's an idea of, um, you know, is he going to be able to play through mistakes? Or is he going to be yanked right out at the first mistake? Some players respond really well to, um, you know, the threat of potentially being taken out. Other players respond really well to getting, um, to play through mistakes. I mean, personally, I'm an advocate to, you know, let the player figure it out as opposed to taking them out. Like, let them figure it out in the rhythm of the game, how to adapt and adjust. And so hopefully we see some of that. Um, but there were a lot of murmurs that Koulibaly is this project that they're going to, you know, you don't know how much he's going to play this season or even if he comes over. And, and if he does play, I mean, um, he's going to come off the bench and then they're going to really, you know, have to take their time. All the recent reports are the exact opposite of that. Even teammates going, yeah, he's legit. Yeah, he is pretty ridiculous. I hope they just throw him into the fire. Because we watched, if, you, um, I mean, if you're a fan of basketball and you're a fan of the NBA draft, then you caught some of the metric... Oh. Sorry, I just hit the table that this uh, microphone's on. <laughs> if you watched Metropolitan's 92 last year because you wanted to watch Wemby and Wembenyama's, uh, you know, pre-NBA footage, then Koulibaly leapt off the page, literally and figuratively. He, his activity level is high. And when you couple that with his length and his athleticism, and oh, he's so smooth. He is so smooth. Everything is looking up in Washington. And look, everyone thinks your regular season projected win total is 24 and a half. I can't imagine the average age on your roster is, is, is over 24. It's all good in Washington. This is an exciting time. So that wraps up part three again, of a, I would guess, six-part series. That wraps up the Eastern Conference, at least. So 15 teams down, 15 more to go. We got to do the West next. If possible, maybe I can do them all in one episode, so it might be a mega episode. 
or it might be broken up into multiple parts because these seem to be averaging around 50 minutes-ish um, an episode. So as opposed to doing one like <laughs> almost three-hour episode, maybe it's better to just keep breaking them up. Um, but again, basketball is back. So as opposed to listening to these and then getting to watch um, a week or two later, listen to these, let it marinate as you watch and just enjoy this season. You know, today is Wednesday, October 25th for context, 2023. And last night there were only two games, Lakers and Nuggets and the Suns and the Warriors. And tonight is the first like true night where there are, I don't know, 12 games or so, 15 games, however many games there are. I mean, that's horrible math, but there's a, there, there are quite a few games, including Wemby's debut, um, I think both the Thompson twins played. There's just a lot of games tonight. If you got league pass, get ready to do the multi-view and watch multiple games. Um, and again, kind of as 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 for that fake uh, mock ad in the beginning of the episode. As a challenge, as a healthy suggestion, enter this season just being open. Being open with wonder. It is so natural to be critical and to judge and to be frustrated or to be, you know, the highs and the lows of being a fan. What if you didn't hang on that and hang on the outcome and, and, you, and you sulked after a loss and you celebrated after a win? What if you just were a part of it? You just immersed yourself. And what happens, happens, but you're in, right? You are involved, metaphorically, of course. I mean, none of us are substituting ourselves into the game. But I just mean the energy that you're putting out there, right? And it might sound esoteric, but in summary, basketball is not to be taken so seriously. Enjoy this game. Enjoy these games tonight. Because I know I will. And I'm going to be giving out flowers all week. All season. Here at Sunflowers at Halftime. Let's show some love. As always, if you like the podcast, feel free to like, subscribe, follow, yada, yada, yada. Check in the bio for the link tree and uh, send off an email if you agree, if you disagree, if you got comments, if you got questions, if you got takes, if you got whatever, I am open to any and all types of messages. And again, hopefully we will be able to compile enough to have a mailbag episode. We're here, brand new season, new alternative style of podcast. I hope you join me on this journey. Next up will be the Western Conference 2023-2024 NBA preview. And following that, we're going to dive into some NBA draft. We're going to do some isolated podcasts on some certain things. We're going to do some, you know, giving out some flowers on a, on, on a certain routine basis. There is a lot of content coming. So I hope, hopefully you, you join our family here. So as always, I appreciate it. Much love. Stay curious, stay hoopful. Till next time.